Hello, and welcome to the Selective Mutism Help Home Educational Learning Program podcast. My name is Kelly, and I'll be your host. This podcast aims to give you the help you need to support the person in your life affected by selective mutism. This episode will be a little different in that I'll be sharing a recording I did for the Spring 2021 Selective Mutism Help Online Summit about our experiences with exposures. I'll be sharing what worked, what I thought would work and didn't, and how we best utilized playdates. Let's get started. Hi everyone, I'm Kelly with Selective Mutism Help and the host of the summit. I wanted to include a video during the summit of my experiences with exposure therapy for our daughter who has SM. Um, it's kind of a, a, a something that gets brought up a lot in knowing what type of exposures to do, when to do exposures, how hard should the exposures be. So I just wanted to take you through our journey and let you know some of the things that we did that worked for us, may not work for you, but some things that didn't work for us, what may work for you. Uh, so I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. Um, our daughter was four and a half when she was diagnosed with selective mutism. Although with maybe a lot of you share the same thing is that she had been showing signs for many years. We just didn't know that selective mutism was a thing. So we didn't know that we should be doing interventions with her. Um, so for her first year and a half of preschool, she didn't talk to anybody, didn't talk to any teachers, didn't talk to any peers, didn't talk to any toys or stuffed animals, um, but was perfectly fine at home. Um, and we, like I said, we just didn't know that selective mutism was a thing until I came upon it one day. Um, so once we found out about selective mutism, we found a specialist who um, treated SM in our area. And through that therapy, we learned about exposure therapy and, and how we're, we should be doing what we can to expose our kids to opportunities for them to speak. Um, but that's kind of all I was told is that you need to do exposures. I didn't really realize that there's such a, a wide variety of exposures that can be done in different stages of a child's journey. Um, so the first thing that was recommended to us was to have your child or have our daughter place an, an item at the store on top of the conveyor belt or on the counter for the cash register. I'm like, okay, that sounds easy enough for her. Um, again, I didn't really realize how severe our daughter's selective mutism was at the time. It wasn't until we started doing our exposure therapy that I really realized what was going on. So I figured I needed to buy just one thing of whiteout. So I told my daughter, we're gonna go to the store, we're gonna buy some whiteout, and I'm gonna have you put it on the counter. And we talked about it in the aisle, like, here you go, we're going to put it on the counter. She couldn't even make it to the counter. She ended up throwing herself on the floor and crying and throwing a fit because my expectation was for her to put the white out on the counter. And at that time, again, this is like my first attempt at an exposure therapy. I'm like, oh my goodness, what is going on? What have I done? What is going on with my daughter? This poor cash register or the cashier just look at me like, is everything okay? I'm like, oh, we're good. We're working on some things. Um, and then I was really scared to try again. I didn't know what what was going to happen the next time. And, and clearly it was difficult for my daughter to do that. So thank goodness for social media because I put a post out there about what to try next. And it was suggested, they gave me some wonderful suggestions. So what we did instead of my daughter taking the item and putting it uh, up by the cash register 
is I would have her stand by me. So if we had the cart, I would stand on the back side of the cart uh, where you push it. She would stand next to me and I would hand her the item to put next to us on the conveyor belt. We did that for weeks um, until she started feeling comfortable. And then I would have her stand in the opposite side of the cart from where I was standing and place things on the conveyor belt, still away from the cashier, closer to me, but she was able to do that for a while until we started moving up. So then we got to the point where she would then go towards the cashier, take things out of the cart and place that on the conveyor belt or on the counter, depending on where we were. So a lot, what I learned in in all of this is that it's not going to take one time for it to be successful. And it's not going to be like, Oh, she did it once we can move on to the next thing. This is not a sprint. This is definitely a marathon. And I think as parents, we need to realize that, that we're not going to see these fantastic results after the first time. We're, we're really going to have to do things over and over again. We have to be there to support them and congratulate them on those little steps. We also use a, um, a reward system for our daughter before we even attempted an exposure. So for example, we would have a conversation before we left. Okay, I would say, how hard would it be for you to take an item from the cart and place it on the conveyor belt away from me? Is it is it easy peasy, medium, or super hard? If she said something like super hard, like, okay, how hard would it be then for you to place it on the conveyor belt next to mommy? Easy, medium, or hard? If she said medium, we were good to go. Like, that's what we were going to work on. And then if it was easy... And be like, okay, well, then how hard would it be for you to hand the cashier my credit card and pay for the groceries? And again, if that was too hard, we wouldn't try that. We would take a step back. So it's really having those conversations with your child about how hard would it be and having them actually think like, oh, I don't think I could do that. Or, oh, yeah, I can do that. No problem. Or, you know, I want to try that. And then anytime that she was successful at um, what we talked about, we would give her the reward, whatever we agreed upon. Usually it was ice cream. Our daughter loved ice cream. Um, so that was usually our go-to. Or if it was, well, if you if you do this at three stores we're going to today, then you would. It wouldn't always be, oh, you did it once, you get ice cream. We would make it more difficult for her to earn it. So again, knowing your child and knowing, knowing how to push them at the right moments um, is really effective. Um, so that's kind of what we did at the grocery stores. Um, one suggestion that we received from our therapist was to have her hand pennies to people in the store. I wasn't comfortable with that as a mom of a four and a half year old. It just seemed like it wasn't realistic to me. So instead of just being like, no, I'm not doing that. What I would do is I would kind of reframe it so that it worked in our life. So we shop at Aldi. That's where we go. You need a quarter for the cart. And so I would strategically start walking in as somebody else was returning their cart and then have my daughter hand that person a quarter for the for their cart. Um, A lot of the times our kids have issues with handing things and getting things back, um, handover takeover. So this way it worked on not only the handover takeover, but going up to somebody they don't know and having that communication of I'm giving you something and I'll get something in return. So, so that worked out for us. So again, instead of us giving pennies to people, uh, we would give the, do the quarter. Um, another thing I did based off of the recommendation with the penny is we went to our local gas station. It was on our way to school. We would pull in. Um, my daughter would put a penny in the leave a penny, take a penny little container. 
Um, and we would just do that. So she had, again, that opportunity to place something in somewhere else next to a person she didn't know. And the first time I think I had to have her hand it to me and then I would put it in the dish. And then the next time she was standing a little bit closer, hand it to me, I put it in the dish and then eventually she could put it in the dish. So again, you might have to bring it back a notch because it, as somebody that doesn't have anxiety in SM, it's like, oh, putting a penny in a dish, how hard is that? But to a child with SM and anxiety, that is hard. That is really hard to do. Um, and I had to come to terms with that, that I I can't think how I think it would feel. I have to think about how it would affect her and how hard it's going to be for her. Um, so eventually we got to the point where she could put the penny in the dish. And then we, we started doing you will get a, we call them brave tickets. You'll get a brave ticket if you make eye contact with the cashier because they always said, oh, good morning or thank you or something. Um, and my daughter wouldn't be able to look at them. So then we started, okay, if you can look at the cashier while you're putting the penny in, that's a brave ticket. And then we worked on that for a while. And then it was, if you can say you're welcome or good morning or something along those lines. I know those are, those are high, higher up exposures um, that are going to be a lot more difficult. Um, but it's, again, it's something that you can work towards on that ladder of exposures. Uh, so that was what we did um, to try that handover takeover. Um, as far as school, so like I said, she wasn't able to speak to any friends at school, but she wanted to. Um, so what we did is we sat down and we, we created a list that said that had um, the kids that she wanted to talk to. So I think she put maybe three or four friends on there. And it's like, okay, on when we get to school on whatever day, how about you make eye contact with the first person on her list? If you do that, you get brave tickets. And again, she would work towards the various rewards. And then we got to the point of waving. So she, again, I'm sure many of you can relate, is our anxious kids are very aware of their environment. So my daughter was able to recognize her friend's cars as they pulled into the parking lot of school. And so we started with waving the cars uh, as they drove in. Then we started working on waving to the kids as they walked in. Most of the time, her friends didn't know she was waving. But to my daughter, that was a big deal. Is like her actually being able to wave out a window. And then we got to the point of having her, as her friends walked into the waiting area, this was a preschool, she would then start working on waving. And again, it didn't happen right away. It took a long time to get us to that point. And I thought it was being sneaky one time where I'm like, oh, we have a flashcard that says hi on it. I'll just have her hold that up to her friend and that'll be an easy way for her friend to know she's saying hi. But that was not a good choice by me. My daughter like hit her face in my lap, refused to hold, look at the card, hold the card, talk about the card, wanted nothing to do with it. Um, so again, as parents, we may think we have these really great ideas, but um, paying attention to how your kids are reacting in those moments, you just have to learn to take a step back and apologize. Like, I'm really sorry. I know that was really hard for you. Let's try this instead. So that's kind of how we got to the waving to the cars, waving to the kids as they came in, then waving as they sat in the waiting area. And then we got to saying hi. And again, it took a while. But having that buy-in of which friends do you want to talk to also helped because then that that gave us a starting point and it was something that she wanted to do. And then eventually through that, I learned... Um, to which friends she wanted over for play dates. 
so I can kind of talk about what our play date exposures look like. Um, so again, it was with those kids that she wanted to talk to. Um, as parents, we do have to put ourselves out there a lot and be vulnerable with others. So I had sent an email to my daughter's preschool teacher and just let her know what was going on with our daughter and asked her to send that out to the other parents. And I was very fortunate in having some amazing parents out there respond back to me and like, yes, we want to help. Let us know what we can do. Um, so I had asked a parent to um, just come over for a play date. And at that time, what I didn't realize was that during a play date, <laughs> as a parent, I just kind of want to hang out with the other parent and have some like adult time because you don't always get that. Um, but if you have a child with selective mutism, that's that's not what a play date is about. You have to be with your with the kids and facilitating conversation and getting the ball rolling on communication. So I had to actually ask the parents um, of their little four-year-olds like, hey, is it okay if you just drop your child off with me for like an hour? Um, again, they, they knew our situation. They knew the reasons behind it, but it is a hard thing to ask. Um, but again, you might just have to put yourself out there. We would have play dates ahead of time. So the parents knew I was a good parent <laughs> and they were comfortable. Um, but that's where we were. So I remember, I will never forget this day. Um, it was a little friend of my daughter's was going to come over. And so a couple days before we knew she was coming, my daughter and I started role playing at bedtime about what types of conversations they could have while her friend was over. So I would play her friend, my daughter would play herself. And I would, as the friend be like, what's your favorite animal? And then my daughter would say, my favorite animal is the giraffe. And then I would say, oh, I like the giraffe too. I also like this. So we just kind of role played those conversations. And then my daughter would ask me, what's your favorite color? And I would say, my favorite color is green or whatever the case may be, just so that they have the opportunity to practice. And they're not just like, here's your friend, go play. Um, and there's just so, there's so much to that for them that they, they can't process all the little things. So if you are able to practice with them ahead of time. Um, that will give them that opportunity and that confidence to know what to expect and how to navigate communication. So her friend came over for our play date. We started playing games. Um, Candyland was the, the game of choice that day. And typically you don't think of Candyland as being a game where you talk because it's just flipping cards over and moving your pawn. Um, but as again, as a parent with an SM child, you have to look at every game as a way of communicating. Um, so our way was whenever you picked a up a card, you would say the color as you get it. So if you get red, you say red, then you put the card down and you move your piece red. Now that can be that can be hard. Just saying the color on a card can be very hard for someone with SM. So again, we had to take it back a couple notches. To start with Candyland, we would do numbers of colors. So if you picked a card that had one color on it, you would hold up one. If you had a picture of a card with two colors, you'd hold up two. I don't know if we had a signal for like those special cards, but um, we would at least have some sort of communication going on with our fingers telling the other person that I have one color or two colors on my card. And then you could, um, as your child is sitting next to you, say, did you pick up red or blue? And then like, oh, red, you know, so giving them those forced choice options would, um, also kind of gives them that comfortability of speaking. And if forced choice is too hard, you can bring it back further. And um, you could say, did you get red? Mm-hmm or uh-uh. And if they say, mm-hmm, 
they use their voice. That's great. That'd be, you know, a brave ticket or however you're rewarding. Um, or if they can't say, mm -hmm or uh, uh that's okay. Then have them not. Did you get read? They're not great job. Thank you for telling me here's brave ticket. So all these little opportunities are opportunities that they can get rewarded for and that they can feel like, oh yeah, that's right. I did it. I was able to nod my head with my friend right here and nothing bad happened. And if I do it four more times, I'm going to get ice cream. So building them up again, as a parent, it's like, come on, you, you know, it's red, just say red. You can say red to me. But again, they, they can't in that moment because the anxiety is too intense. So going back to the candy land, we played that game. My daughter's able to speak about the game while we were playing it. And then we went outside to play and they, they were so cute. They're sitting, we had a little wooden swing. They're both sitting on the swing. And I hear my daughter go, what's your favorite animal? Holy waterworks. I started crying so hard. I'm videotaping it. I'm texting their mom. Like my daughter asked your daughter questions. It was so amazing. And that kind of, that was our starting point. Um, see, I get teary eyed again, but that was our starting point to know that there was hope that we were on this journey and it was going to be hard, but the rewards, man, there's something special. Um, so that, that helped us with play dates. Again, having, having a plan in place, um, role playing beforehand, knowing which games we were going to play and what the expectations for communicating were going to be during that game. And then having, um, a reward system ready to go. So that worked for us. Um, trying to think other exposures we did as we went along. There's, there's quite a few that you can do, um, playground. So a lot of times we, you know, we want to take our kids to the playground, have them play with other kids, but the anxiety is just too much and they can't interact or communicate with another child. Um, there was one time we were at the playground and my daughter, like me, she loves bugs. Like as a kid, I love collecting bugs. She loves collecting bugs. It's our thing. Like we do that everywhere we go. And so we were at the playground and she found a little caterpillar. So she picked it up and I said, Hmm, I wonder, if, or I probably said, um, how hard would it be to show that little girl your caterpillar? And what I realized in the beginning too, was that she gravitated for the little kids. Now she's the oldest of three. Um, which also kind of fog, fogs my memory a little bit on these exposures because I was raising other little tiny babies at the time. Um, but she always gravitated towards the young kids. Like 18 months was like the age she liked. So there was a little girl there about that age. So how hard would it be for you to show that little girl her caterpillar? And I don't remember exactly what she said, but we ended up going over to that little girl and she held her hand out. She didn't say anything, which was fine. That's not what we were working on. But she held her caterpillar out. And then I could ask, what colors are on that caterpillar? Hmm, I wonder if it's going to turn into a butterfly. Or just trying to get conversations started so that if my daughter wanted to speak, she would have the opportunity to do so in that moment. Um, and then eventually it would um, we would go up to older kids or parents would come over and I would ask her questions for her to answer to me in front of the parents and she could start doing that. So again, it's not that your child has to communicate to the other people that are there. Just them communicating to you in that moment is a huge step because somebody else is hearing their voice and they know that somebody else is hearing their voice. So getting yourself into situations where they can at least speak to you in front of others is, um, is a good way to do an exposure. And I'll give you an example. Um, we, when we would go grocery shopping again, we did a lot of grocery shopping <laughs> when we were doing exposures. Um, 
we had a list of questions that we would practice everywhere. So it was, what is your name? I have to think about it now. What is your name? What's your favorite animal? And what's your favorite color? So we wanted to pick questions that she couldn't hold up fingers to. So we couldn't say, how old are you? Because she could just hold up her fingers. We couldn't say, how many brothers do you have? Because again, she could hold up her fingers. Um, We had to ask questions that she actually had to verbally answer. So we asked those three questions and we asked them everywhere. I think we started with just, what is your name? So in the truck, driving anywhere. What's your name? What's your name? Hey, what's your name? Hmm, I wonder what your name is. Can you tell me your name? What's your name? Like we did that everywhere. And I'm sure if people recorded me in my vehicle, they're like, you are crazy. But every time she answered me, she would get a check mark on her little reward chart. And if she got so many check marks, she would get whatever the reward we're working on. I think eventually we moved it up to like, um, time with mom, staying up late with mom or playing video games for so long. It wasn't always ice cream. Um, so you can change the rewards as you go. Um, but so we would do that. And then as we would get to the grocery store in the parking lot, what's your name? What's your name? What's your name? As we get into the store, what's your name? What's your name? And then as we get in the cart, what's your name? So as we go through the store, I would start when there wasn't anybody around and then we would wait. And so if we were doing well at that, she was able to communicate to me her name when nobody was around. Then we, I would tell her, okay, for two brave tickets, I'm going to ask you your name and when somebody's nearby and you, if you answer my question, you get your, your break tickets. And so as we're going through the aisle, I would wait until somebody's coming towards us. And as we're walking, I say, what's your name? So that by the time my daughter answers, it's in passing of somebody else. And so, yes, it, it's not directly to somebody else, but it's still vocalizing in, in front of somebody else, which again is a big deal for these kids with SM. Um, so that was our starting point with talking in the stores around other people. And then we started having the cash. I think we started having the cashiers ask questions. So as we're checking out, be like, hi, again, super awkward as a parent, but the things we do for our kids say, hi, we are working on our brave voice today. Could you ask my daughter her name? And the cashier's usually like, yeah, what's <laughs> be really confused, but they'd be like, what's your name? And if my daughter said it, she'd give brave ticket. And starting out, nobody could really hear her. She would just like mumble it to herself, but she did it. And so that we had to celebrate and reward because she did it, even though a typical expectation would before all this, I'd be like, just say your name. Like, I know you know how to speak. I know that you can say it clearly. But in those moments, I had to, I had to take those thoughts away. It's like, you know what? It wasn't perfect. And that's fine. She did it. And then the next time it would get a little bit clearer, or we would say, I would say to the cashier, did you get that? And if they say no, I'd like, um, can you say it or say it again? Cause you don't want to say, can you? Cause then they can say yes or no. Say, say it again. And then if she said it loud enough for the cashier to hear them, hear her, um, they would not, uh, yes, they could hear and usually repeat the name. Um, and what's nice too about grocery stores, some of them have stickers and stickers are good rewards for kids. And so the cashier would just give her this, the, the sticker at that time. And that was, that could have been her reward. Um, so again, we did that for a while. And, um, again, this isn't something that you do once and you're done. Like you do it over and over again. So that they start feeling comfortable, um, And then we got to the point where we practiced our three questions everywhere. My husband made these laminated sheets with the questions and a little blurb about selectomutism. 
And as we're going around the store, we started finding the, the workers that were there stocking shelves or whatever they were doing. And we would hand them a card. They would read it. They would ask our daughter questions. She would answer them. And we would go on our day. And it was going so well. Again, it took a long time. I mean, a year-ish, I don't know, or so to get to that point. But she would be, when we would go, go in the store, she's like, Mom, can we go find an employee? Or can we go find somebody wearing a red shirt or a blue shirt or green shirt or whatever store we are in? Because she wanted to. Um, she was feeling confident. She wanted to earn her ice cream or staying up late with Mom or whatever um, we were working on. But again, that didn't happen overnight. That ha- that took a while to get to that point. Um, so that was, again, all these little things started getting us to where we are are now. Um, school is, you know, going into kindergarten, that was a big deal. It's a bigger school. You have different classrooms, a lot more kids. Um, so we were really in communications with her teachers starting out, um, again, starting with just building that rapport of getting to know the teacher. So our school was very nice and let us come in during the summertime. So we would come in once a week during the summer and have lunch in the cafeteria. We would go to her classroom, read a book, play a game. Um, we did um, video recording for the teacher. So the teacher would send us a video recording. We would send the teacher back a video recording to get that rapport started. And then before school started, like the week before, we would go in and my daughter would help set up the classroom or they would go run an errand and make some copies or doing something where my daughter could be around the teacher without me and also not have any expectation to talk. We didn't go and for maybe like, oh, you're going to say a word to your teacher. We would just go and be like, you're going to spend some time with your teacher and play a game or help her out with something. And so that was a big deal. And then that that helped once school actually started for her to start feeling comfortable because she knew I wasn't going to be there, um, but her teacher would. And so they already had that relationship started. Um, and then we would just start with, if you can ask my daughter one yes or no question in the morning for her to nod her head and mark off, they made little cute reward reward charts for her with a sticker um, so I could see her progress. And then um, we got to the point of her saying yes or no, and then choosing a forced choice question and then answering an open-ended question. And as, as they start going, it's going to be baby steps at first, but then they're going to start making bigger steps and bigger steps and bigger steps without as much time in between. And that's when you can really start seeing the changes um, that, that they want to see. Um, another thing I want to bring up as my mind keeps spinning as I'm talking is one way um, we got her comfortable talking on other kids was reading books. So she, again, probably like most of your SM kids, she's very academic. She started reading at a very early age. So we used the book Go Dog Go. And in different situations, I would have her usually at the park. We'd get there and just hang out on a bench or at the library. We'd sit in a chair together before like a story time activity thing. And we would have Go Dog Go. And as we would go through the book anytime. I think we started with anytime the word dog came up, she would say the dog. So I would read everything else. I'd stop at dog. She would say dog. And then eventually we got to, she would say all the goes and then she would say all the colors. And then like there's that book is so great to pick different things for a child to read. Um, and so we would do it when it's just her and I, and then we would go a little closer to kids and have her do it. And then we would, you know, we'd change the situation. And again, we're 
Like every time she read the word, I would mark it on a reward chart. And if she said it 10 times, she would get a brave ticket or whatever it was at that time. And there was an instance where her and I were reading at the library and another little girl came and sat right next to us. And my daughter shut down. She couldn't keep reading. Um, I am trying to remember the exact situation. Again, three kids under the age of five at that time. My brain was somewhere else. Um, but I think I did say to the little girl, like, oh, we're really we're practicing um, reading. Do you mind scooting down a little bit so she can continue or something along those lines? You do have to um, – because the other kids, they want to be involved, especially when it comes to books and things. So she was just excited to hear um, somebody reading a book to her. But I could see that I was upsetting my daughter, but I didn't, and I didn't want to lose that momentum. So just being polite and asking them, move down a little bit, or can you come back in like a minute, or something along those lines so that then I can have that conversation with my daughter. Like, I know that's really hard, but you're doing it, and you're doing a great job, and I'm so proud of you. Um, so that was that exposure about reading. So finding a book that they really like, um, can help motivate them, um, get them comfortable in certain situations. Um, so really once she was in kindergarten and we had all of those, I think it was two years now of exposures, just everywhere we went trying to find certain little things to help. It doesn't have to be these grandiose uh, opportunities that involve a lot. It's just little things like I had, you know, have kind of gone through in this video. Um, then we ended up moving. So, uh, we lived in Minnesota. It's very cold there. And we ended up moving to Florida where it's very warm. We're very happy here. Um, but that meant changing schools. Um, so again, it was, we moved after school had started, so we didn't have the opportunity to meet with the teacher, and we didn't have the opportunity to the school because of COVID. We couldn't; no parents could go in the school, and that was a that was our big, big challenge. You know, of what is she going to do? How is she going to react? We've done all of these things up until this point. Was it enough? And I think I think it was um, as far as her speaking goes, because the second day of school she was able to not only speak to peers, but also speak to teachers. And that was a huge deal. So, um, it, again, it's, it's a lot of little things. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of emotion. It's, it's a lot. And you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days, but just know that all of the little things they're helping, um, and keep up with it. Don't, don't try to again, do it one time. Like, Oh, she did that. Check that off. Keep doing it because anything can change. It can be different weather. It can be different people. It can be, um, more people, less people in the stores that you're, you're working on exposures. Um, and then no two, there's a lot more that goes on to it just besides the exposure therapy. Exposures are a very important part of it, but it's not the only part of it, which you'll learn again as the summit continues. Um, but I hope this helped. I hope it gives you some ideas on ways to start, ways to maybe bring it back a few notches if you need to, or where to bring it next. Um, for those of you that are part of the private Facebook group, if you want to share ideas that have worked for you or maybe didn't work as well as you had hoped and we can work through it. Um, if you're not part of the Facebook group, you can always email me smhelp2020 at gmail.com or you can fill out a feedback form here on the bottom of this page. Um, but I really do hope this helped. Thank you again for taking time out of your day to be a part of the summit. I really, truly appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and were able to get some ideas that may help your child. If you're looking to start implementing different exposures for your child, but not quite sure how to go about it, 
Don't forget, I offer parent coaching sessions and would love an opportunity to support you and offer suggestions and tips. For more information about parent coaching, visit www.smhelp.org parent coaching. Thank you.